It's Sunday, December 24th, day 79 of Hamas's war against Israel. We'll have a live briefing with the IDF, then hear from Rachel and John, the parents of Hirsch Goldberg Polin, who is kidnapped in Gaza. And then we'll be joined by Montana Tucker, who came to Israel to share the reality on the ground with her over 9 million followers. I'm Michael Dixon, and this is Stand With Us TV Live. Shalom, we're live from Israel, and even at this tough time, or especially at this tough time, we wish a very Merry Christmas to our Christian brothers and sisters here in Israel and to those celebrating all over the world. There's a giant Christmas tree at the YMCA right next to the Stand With Us Education Center in King David Street here in Jerusalem. And it's worth remembering that the Jewish state is the safest and freest place in the region for Christians and those of all religions to practice and gather in prayer. Also located in our street is a kindergarten for Muslim, Christian and Arab preschoolers and Jewish preschoolers as well. And maybe one day in the Palestinian Authority controlled education system, or even in Gaza, once Hamas falls, peace and tolerance will be taught in place of hate and dehumanization of the other, the kind of education that leads to terror. Now, wouldn't that be a miracle for the holiday season? Thank you for joining us for our weekly briefing. This is week 12, where we break down the war with Hamas and its global fallout. And to sing us out today, a very special rendition of the song Am Yisrael Chai, so stay with us for that. We're streaming live to stand with us, Facebook, Instagram, X, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And you can listen to this and all previous briefings as a podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For daily updates from us, you can go to WhatsApp, tap on updates and search for Stand With Us to subscribe. In a moment, we'll head to Tel Aviv for a briefing with the IDF spokesperson. But first, a roundup on the last week of Israel at war. As part of the ground operation against Hamas, IDF troops have killed over 8,000 Hamas terrorists and arrested over 200 in the past week. Freed hostage 17-year-old Mia Lemberg performed a duet with Israeli singer Aviv Geffen. Israeli doctors confirmed that many of the 30 released female hostages were sexually abused while held captive in Gaza. 129 Israelis still remain in Hamas captivity in Gaza, with no deal currently on the table for negotiations. And Jerry Seinfeld, Michael Rappaport, Deborah Messing, Brett Gelman and Montana Tucker were among celebrities in Israel this week to bear witness to Hamas atrocities, to give support to Israeli troops and the Israeli people. And Montana will be joining us a little later to tell us about her visit. Let's get the latest now. Joining us live once again is the IDF International Spokesperson, Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Comricus. Good to have you with us, Lieutenant Colonel. Thank you for being with us once again. Thank you, Michael, for having me. And as we come on air, we're hearing about a new large Hamas tunnel network in Jabalia in northern Gaza, where the bodies of five hostages were found. What can you tell us? It is indeed new. 
it no longer exists because we dismantled it. Our troops from the from a reserve brigade, actually, men who uh, left their families behind, many of them married men with children and wives, uh, left everything behind and have been fighting in Gaza for uh, the better part of uh, 79 days of this war now. And they discovered, this brigade, 551, they discovered this very elaborate, something that we have not seen before in terms of size and complexity and the level of fit and finish and how interconnected this tunnel system is. It is something that we have not seen yet. We've seen under the Shifa hospital, some very big tunnels, and we've seen it in other locations, the so-called elite quarter in uh, Rimal and other locations in Gaza. This one is the biggest uh, and, and most elaborate network with uh, staying quarters, with many restrooms, with showers, with many facilities to produce weapons, of course, with electricity, with air supply, with water ventilation technology loaded with everything. And sadly, our troops, as they fought their way in to this tunnel and uh, uncovered everything based on very accurate intelligence and a lot of hard work on the ground, were able to discover and repatriate the bodies of five Israeli hostages that have since then been taken back to Israel and have been reunited with their families. And this is what we've exposed today. Uh, this is further proof, unequivocal proof, that Hamas uses the access to tunnels, to mosques, to, sorry, to mosques and hospitals and schools. All of that was seen in this specific tunnel. Uh, and it again shows the level of inhumanity of Hamas when they abuse all of these sensitive humanitarian facilities and endanger the population of Gaza. Our troops uncovered it, and we continue to uncover the rest of Hamas infrastructure in northern Gaza. And of course, we're operating in southern Gaza uh, with tremendous force as we're speaking. And we can only imagine how much money is spent on that tunnel network. Uh, the IDF released the names of 14 soldiers killed in action over the weekend. Each one, of course, is a truly devastating loss, and our hearts go out to their families. There's a fierce battle against Hamas happening now, and we saw Chief of Staff Khatib Levy in Yunis in Gaza this weekend, who spoke about the military gains that have been made. So where is the battle against Hamas at right now? Yeah, the battle against Hamas is dispersed between northern Gaza uh, and the southern part of Gaza. Uh, we have made significant, very significant achievements in the northern part, and most of Hamas in its combat capabilities have been degraded, but there are still Hamas terrorists, enemy combatants that are there, have access to weapons, and continue to fight at a lower level. And since they have this massive infrastructure of tunnels, then they're able to continue fighting despite the fact that we are in a very dominant position. But in a nutshell, in the north, we are in a very good and strong position with many achievements, lots of Hamas infrastructure dismantled, many Hamas terrorists killed, but they're still fighting ongoing, specifically in Jabalia, but not only there. We have now shifted our focus to the south, where our elite 98 division, paratroopers and special forces, are hammering Hamas as we speak, fighting underground and above ground and making them pay a very heavy price, a much heavier price than we have been forced to pay. But of course, each and every Israeli soldier that uh, sadly is killed or wounded in combat is a terrible loss. 
We are deploying lots of fire measures, precise fire, in order to mitigate the threats to our soldiers. And uh, we will continue to work and to fight in southern Gaza. And uh, we will expand operations. This isn't the end of where we're going to fight in southern Gaza. Uh, and until we achieve all of the aims, return of the hostages, dismantling of Hamas and its military capabilities, and of course, to stop any future capacity of Hamas to rearm itself and to threaten Israeli civilians. And uh, we've seen further discoveries by the IDF in Gaza, including a weapons compound where explosive belts that were adapted for children were found. Can you tell us more? Yeah, we've seen that. We've seen an abundance of weapons manufactured and stored in schools. There's hardly a school that our forces enter and search that doesn't have either rocket launchers in the courtyard or where Hamas has been storing rockets underneath the school or where Hamas has been firing from within that school using various weapons, RPGs, IEDs, and small arms fire against our troops. So it seems as if uh, both schools, UN schools in particular, and then mosques are the preferred areas that Hamas likes to abuse in terms of humanitarian facilities. That's, of course, very dangerous. And uh, what you refer to, these uh, small or miniature vests, you know, it, it connects with what our forces have been reporting from the ground, all kinds of tricks and attempts by Hamas to pull Israeli troops into ambushes by using the most depraved of tactics, by sending women forward, carrying a white flag, and then having snipers, Hamas snipers on standby, waiting for Israeli troops to expose themselves and then attacking Israeli troops. And we've seen the use of Bluetooth loudspeakers and playing Hebrew voices and children's music in Hebrew in order to pull Israel, Israeli soldiers in and then detonate IEDs. Fortunately, Israeli soldiers were uh, understood the situation and were able to preempt that and kill the terrorists. This happened uh, a few days ago. But the depravity of Hamas knows no boundaries. Nothing is beyond them when it comes to a cynical use of children, of human shields, and of protected facilities like schools, hospitals, and mosques. Terrible. Uh, the head of the UN tweeted uh, this weekend, the way Israel is conducting this offensive is creating massive obstacles to the distribution of humanitarian aid inside Gaza. What is your response to the head of the UN? I think that's very unfortunate. It, it is just as unfortunate as the activities of UNRWA and other UN institutions on the ground have been since the beginning of our maneuver. And I think that when the history books are written about what happened in Gaza, these organizations will be partially held accountable for the death of Palestinian civilians. They could have made a difference. They could have been on the right side of morals and history, and they could have been part of the solution. And what do I mean? When we told civilians in northern Gaza to evacuate to the south, they had an opportunity to help us. But instead of helping us, all of the so-called humanitarian organizations said no, and that it couldn't be done and that it mustn't be done. And the result is, of course, that many more Palestinians were unfortunately caught in the battlefield and used by Hamas as human shields, very cynically used by Hamas. Many of these people could have been saved. They could have been gone down to the uh, humanitarian zone in southern Gaza. It could have been built properly 
with infrastructure, food, electricity, and shelter, and many, many Gazan civilians could have been spared. But the decision here was much more of a political decision against Israel than it was about saving lives. So I think it is extremely unfortunate to continue with this agenda, this line of rhetoric against Israel, and it is not too late for the UN and for UN entities on the ground to understand that their actions are causing suffering and they can and should do better if they really care and if they really their mandate is to care for Palestinian civilians. I for sure would expect them to do that. And I think that Palestinian civilians uh, who have been living under Hamas oppression for so long deserve better. Now, the north continues to be a conflict zone. We've had consistent missile barrages from Hezbollah in Lebanon to Israel with rocket sirens even sounding in the last few hours. How's the IDF hitting back? We've been hitting back quite uh, significantly. Uh, You have to understand that there's a certain parity. Since Hezbollah is the aggressor here, they have been attacking and we have been responding uh, in turn at a similar level. Uh, We have been quite successful, and according to Hezbollah reports, more than 124 Hezbollah operatives, trained, well-trained, I should say, Hezbollah terrorists, have been killed by IDF fire. And that is not a small achievement. Uh, That is um, about a quarter of the amount of uh, military personnel that Hezbollah lost in the Second Lebanon War in 2006. So by no means a small number. But the message here is, and that we've been trying to get across to the international community, to the United States, to France, and to the UN, our civilians need to be able to go back to their homes. The current security situation does not allow that. And until a diplomatic solution is found, then of course our only option, our other only option, is to use the tools that the military has at its disposal. And we are ready, equipped, and focused on doing that. We are awaiting good news, perhaps, you know, Christmas holiday spirit in the Christian world, and perhaps the end of year, we'll have some great advancement, and maybe a diplomatic, life-saving, war-preventing deal can be made. If so, I think that the State of Israel would look at that with a favorable eye. But if not, we won't have a choice but to provide security for our civilians with the tools at our disposal. And I think that is something that needs to be prevented. But if push comes to shove, that is what the IDF is prepared to do. And we have the full backing of the state of Israel, our government, and of course, the people of Israel who understand the threat here towards Israeli civilians and who demand that Israeli civilians be able to go back to their homes and go about their daily lives without being threatened by these Iranian-backed Lebanese terrorists along our borders. Absolutely untenable that Israelis should be refugees in their own country. And finally, yes. as you we head into the next week and the new year, and you go from TV interview to TV interview, what are the messages you want our audience to take to their networks and to their social media this week? You know, we uh, finally exposed that we have killed almost 8,000 Hamas combatants. So trained fighters, some of them terrorists who are trying to kill civilians, others just combatants. Uh, We have killed, according to our estimate, which is based on quite a lot of different sources and cross-referencing and compiling those sources. It's not a, uh, should we say, um, number that is uh, definite and total and will not change. It will change, and it's not uh, 
how should we call it, uh, forensic. But at the end of the day, this is our estimate. And that is a lot of terrorists that we have killed, including on the 7th of October and also inside Gaza. And I would like to poke a very big hole through that very vicious and untrue theory that is being thrown at Israel uh, that we target indiscriminately and that we do not care about civilian casualties. We do. We focus our fire on the enemy and we go to great lengths in order to prevent humanitarian situations that are difficult and, of course, hurting civilians. We don't want that because it serves no purpose and the enemies, our enemies use that, leverage that against us. So we are aware of that and we try our best. And I think that we are doing a very good job in a tremendously complex situation. I think these ne this needs to be recognized. I don't think that any military, and this has been said by American experts, has faced a challenge as severe and complex that we are facing. Not Mosul, not uh, Deir Azur, not Raqqa, and not places in uh, the Sahel or in the Horn of Africa. Nowhere where Western forces have fought against jihadi terrorists has been more complex than what we are facing in Gaza. And of course, the most complex and important part is the fact that our civilians are only a few kilometers away. And that makes it a totally uh, different situation. So at the end of the day, we are doing our best not to kill civilians and to kill enemy combatants. We are going to finish this war by dismantling Hamas, and we will do so while respecting humanitarian law, while minimizing civilian casualties and doing our best to continue to enhance the flow of humanitarian goods for the civilian population in Gaza. Very important points to make, and we wish every success to the men and women of the IDF. Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Comricus, thank you very much for joining us once again. Thank you for having me, Michael. And if you enjoy our live shows and want to be kept up to speed with all that's happening in Israel, be sure to click the subscribe button on YouTube. Now, as you know, at the Nova Music Festival on October the 7th, 364 people were killed with countless others injured. Many young people were also kidnapped that day. There are currently 129 people still being held hostage by Hamas in Gaza for the last 79 days. Each one of them is a human with a life and a story, and every one of them deserves freedom immediately. Among them, 23-year-old Hirsch Goldberg Polin, and we'll speak with Hirsch's parents, Rachel and John, from Jerusalem in just a moment. But first, here is part of what Rachel had to say to the thousands who gathered in the rain for a rally that was held last night in Tel Aviv at Hostage Square. Hirsch kissed me goodbye on October 6th around 11 o'clock in the evening. He said five words, love you, see you tomorrow. Hirsch, Hirsch, if you can hear me now, after 78 days, I want to see you tomorrow. I love you, my sweet boy. Stay strong and survive. A hugely powerful speech. John and Rachel, we deeply appreciate you being with us. Thank you so much. And of course, people can watch the full speech by searching for and following Bring Hirsch Home all across social media. Uh, Rachel and John, the question, how are you, is difficult enough to ask and answer for most Israelis, but you even more so. So instead, how are you getting through these days? Look, I would say that we're getting through these days by being in action mode. 
uh, we made the decision by the afternoon of day one, the afternoon of October 7th, that while we trust the United States government and the Israeli government to be by our sides and help us through whatever it was that was unfolding for us uh, on the 7th, that we were also going to take action. And we made that decision on the 7th and we haven't stopped, which means that we are in meetings. We are doing various kinds of diplomacy, meeting with politicians and governments, as well as telling the story of Hirsch and all the hostages. Um, those are the buckets that keep us busy. And we're going to keep being busy until we succeed to bring home Hirsch and all the hostages. And can you tell our audience a little bit more about your son, Hirsch? <laughs> That's always very easy and fun for me. Um, Hirsch is um, our oldest, our eldest, our only son. He is a very curious, respectful, uh, funny, but funny, dry, dry, sarcastic, funny, but not mean. Um, sarcasm sometimes can go mean. He's not mean. He is wild about soccer, big soccer fan, loves music and music festivals, and has always been uh, obsessed with travel and, well, as a young kid, the idea of travel. And he was very um, always excited about uh, geography, globes, maps, atlases, National Geographic. Um, and he actually has a ticket for um, the 27th of December for a trip around the world that was going to take at least a year up to two years. So he's got to really get home quickly if he's going to be going on that trip, which I think eventually he will go on that trip. This, the ticket for the 27th will have to be postponed, but that's a little, a little taste of Hirsch. And so tell us now what October the 7th was like for you and the days following that. We, um, like the rest of the country, went into um, the mode in the morning when we started hearing sirens going off uh, of, of chaos and not knowing what was coming. Obviously, Rachel and our girls were home. I was at synagogue already. Um, from my perspective at synagogue, it was in and out of a bomb shelter there with a bunch of people before we canceled things altogether. And I came running home. Rachel had been in our bomb shelter at home with the girls and can pick up and tell you kind of her side of what happened on, on, here at home. Well, I think most people have heard that we were, we came out of the bomb shelter. And even though I don't normally use my phone on the Jewish Sabbath, I, um, you know, on Shabbat, I knew that it was a issue of life and death because there were bombs falling somewhere in the country. And I knew that Hirsch and his, one of his best friends were out camping. So I did turn on my phone to find out, are you, you know, I wanted to know if he was okay. And um, that was when we got those two um, very haunting WhatsApps that had come in 10 minutes prior to me turning the phone on at 8-11. The, um, the first text said, I love you. And the next one said, I'm sorry. And so I knew that, um, you know, something terrible was happening or was about to happen. And of course, you know, the next 36 hours were horrible. We thought that he was one of the 364 that had been massacred at that music festival. 
And we had a crazy experience of finding a picture of him in a bomb shelter that then led to us finding out that he had been kidnapped. And the crazy part was that we were so relieved to find out that he was kidnapped because it meant he wasn't dead at the bomb at the uh, music festival, just laying in the field. Um, and so, you know, that was already 79 days ago and we've been living in a different place than you and most of the world since then. And of course, you've done everything you can do to raise awareness uh, of Hersh's plight in order to get him back. It felt like you got into gear very quickly, as you mentioned, and that a community built around you very quickly as well to secure Hersh's release. Was that the case? Indeed. I mean, by the afternoon of October 7th, we already had maybe, I think it was 15 people here. Um, and this became a command center. Um and everyone used the expertise that they had to help. And so we were the first ones to really put together what had happened in that specific bomb shelter. Um, we knew information before many other people knew uh, information about the details of what happened in that particular one. And, um, you know, we had people going to hospitals in those first 36 hours going through dead bodies, trying to identify if uh, Hirsch was among the unidentified bodies. Um, we had, you know, people who were dealing with the American uh, government side, because one of the first phone calls I made was to the U.S. Embassy to say that an American civilian citizen was at the music festival and was missing um, we were just, you know, and continue to just do anything and everything we possibly can turn over every single stone we can possibly turn over um, and do anything that will help save his life and the life of the other hostages. And in doing so, you've met with very prominent people, Elon Musk, President Biden, the Pope. Can you tell us about those meetings and what is your message? What has your message been at those meetings? I mean, those meetings have all been interesting for different reasons, but the message has always been the same, that the hostage situation is a global humanitarian issue and should be dealt with as such, and that we conflate it with anything else is a grave misjustice, injustice, and mistake, because you're dealing with people from nations all over the world with a now 84-year age range you have Christians, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists who are still there. And this should be something that the whole entire world is saying is not acceptable. And, and I think if these hostages, if this constellation of human beings was being held anywhere else on earth, being held in Texas, the whole entire world would be in Texas trying to save these people. Yeah, and I'm minded of previous campaigns for hostages, bring back our girls, bring back our boys, and the outcries, and, and the prominent people and the celebrities that lend their voice to those. Those voices seem to be absent in this situation, don't they? Oh, indeed. Yeah, I think that we have a lot of people today who are fearful of being canceled, and people who, as Rachel said, conflate the issue of the hostages 
with this ongoing, unfortunate Israeli Arab, Israeli Palestinian, Israeli Hamas conflict. And those events are related clearly, but they're different events. And the world isn't seeing it, seeing it as a different event. And as such, you have a lot of people who are afraid that if they speak out on something universal, like we are not okay with hostages being held, that they will be canceled. And there's a lot of fear. Um, one of the things that's been heartening for us is that the U.S. government has never seen it as a divisive issue, which is to say that in many visiting delegations, we've heard Republican senators, Democratic senators, each say this isn't a political issue. This, this isn't right versus left. This isn't Republican versus Democrat. It's a universal issue. We're not OK with hostages being held. But the broader world is still a little bit afraid to say that. And we're sitting here having this discussion at Christmas time. Uh, we have a very broad audience at Stand With Us. And I wonder, what is your message to people at Christmas about the hostages? What would you like them to say? What would you like them to do? What would you like to say to them? Well, first, I would like to say thank you, because the outpouring of support from our Christian friends, neighbors, and partners all over the world has been so helpful and such a source of comfort and strength. So the first thing that I would say is thank you. Um, I would say that, you know, today is the final Sunday before Christmas, the culmination of Advent. Um, the Advent theme that starts this week is the theme of love. And we really have felt embraced and loved by the Christian community all over the world. Um, and I wish back to you the love that you have demonstrated and shown us and the prayers and love that you're sending to Hirsch and to all the hostages is a beautiful demonstration of um, humanitarianism that's been really wonderful. I also hope that at Christmas, even just acknowledging you should have a beautiful, wonderful Christmas with your family. I think um, someone sent me a picture earlier last week of her Christmas tree with a bring them home ornament that you can order from Shutterfly. Um, and she said, you know, we're going to have a beautiful holiday, but we want to remember that there's a piece that's missing from the world. The world is not perfect. There are people who are in pain. There are people whose families are not complete right now. That's a really meaningful demonstration that you can do some, a small token like that. And I just heard last night, that um, people are also planning on setting an extra plate at their at their Christmas dinners, uh, their Christmas meals, uh, to just say it's we're not complete. There's you know there's a hostage who's who's not home. You know there's they're Christian hostages, but it doesn't have to be necessarily. You could go to the Bring Them Home website. You can print out the picture of someone. Choose anyone to just be with your family as a symbol that you recognize that that it's not a complete a complete world at this time. And we'll post a link to the website and we hope as many people as possible will be continually active in raising their voice to bring Hirsch and all of the hostages home. We pray with you that this is the week that Hirsch comes home. And I know that so many eagerly await that moment as if it was their own son too. And I hope that you draw some strength from that. Rachel and John, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michael. Now, Montana Tucker is best known to her over 9 million TikTok followers 
for her extensive dance routines, for her singing, and for her creativity. But as Israel was at war, she took a flight, and in doing so, brought her audience closer to the stories of the October 7th victims, like Noam. And after that text, I had no response from David, and I heard... Hmm. I heard the first I heard them getting inside the container and the first one of them screaming Alawakbar Anisha directly to David because I heard him trying to breathe. And I said my sledge, my sledge, my sled and I squeeze even more. And after that squeeze, I felt, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, you feel it all over your body and the brain, you feel it everywhere. But that gunshot, I don't know where to put like the pain from the bullet or the pain from understanding that the love of my life is not no longer with me. Powerful testimony, and you can watch the full video on Montana's social media accounts. And Montana Tucker joins us now live from Los Angeles. Thank you so much for being with us today, Montana. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. And we've seen you be so active in educating your audience since October 7th. But why was it so important to you to come to Israel during the war? Yeah, for me, you know, since October 7th, I've pretty much taken over my social media to post about what is going on. One year ago, I made a Holocaust educational docu-series called How to Never Forget, where I took my followers to Poland. And I went to visit Auschwitz, where my grandparents are Holocaust survivors. And, you know, that was a year ago when Holocaust denial was still a thing. Um, and people still deny the Holocaust. Anti-Semitism was at an all-time high even a year ago. And now, since October 7th, the denial that is still there is... Uh, absolutely terrible and so upsetting. And no matter what I posted, I feel like there was still denial. And so I wanted to physically go to Israel and be there and show, you know, my millions of followers, this is real. This just happened. This didn't happen 10 years ago, 20 years ago, a hundred years ago. This happened less than three months ago when I went and I tried to meet with as many survivors as I could meet with as many families as I could meet with. I, you know, for the second time met with Hirsch's parents and they're just so incredible. Um, and I, I met with hostages that were released and I was sad to leave. I didn't want to leave. I want to be in Israel as much as I can. Israel is the most amazing place in the world. And despite everything that is going on there right now, the people have so much love and hope in them and spirit in them. And I hope with my content already, I've seen people's perspectives change, changing a little bit and their eyes are being opened. And, and that's all I could ask for. And we saw the clip just now of you and Noam. Uh, Noam survived the attack on the Nova Music Festival, but saw her boyfriend murdered tragically in front of her. What was it like to sit with people like Noam? Noam, it's actually amazing because we ended up becoming friends and now we talk on WhatsApp uh, ever since then. And she's the most, she's the perfect example of the Israel spirit, I would say. Uh, the spirit that she has in her after experiencing what she's experienced, um, it's something that I can't even imagine. And I feel like any of us that are here can't really imagine. Um, 
but she has so much spirit and love inside of her. And we really, really connected in a really beautiful way. And and she was super vulnerable with me. And, you know, that's not easy. I know a lot of these survivors and a lot of these families since October 7th, every day are doing several interviews and it has to be just so mentally and physically draining to continue to talk about something that is so traumatic. So for everyone I interviewed, I was just trying to make them feel comfortable and, and know that this is difficult to continue talking about it. And so I wanted everyone to feel comfortable sharing and opening up with me and sharing whatever they want wanted to share. Um, and from Noam, we, we built such a, a, a beautiful friendship. And I actually ended up filming a flash mob of 100 dancers and I invited her and she ended up dancing with me. So it's a really, it was really, really beautiful. Incredible. And another time when you've taken your talent and your activism immersion together is that you sang the Hatikva recently at the UN. Now, the nature of that was an event that was set up to highlight the uh, the denial or let's say the playing down of the terrible sexual violence that was perpetrated by Hamas. Um, so tell us a bit about that event. Yes. So that event was so important. Um, I still don't think enough enough has changed or happened since that event. I think we made a, a bit of an impact, but so much more needs to happen. Um, I was surrounded by really incredible people, Cheryl Sandberg and, and Galad. They invited me to, to be there. And just hearing you know, direct um, testimonies from Zaka. I think Zaka is the, the work that they do. Um, they're, they are superheroes, uh, the work that they do. Not many people would do the, do what they do. And um, hearing their stories, I've now heard from several um, volunteers from Zaka and, you know, they shared their, their experience day of, um, and they're still there every single day and hearing from um, people directly that, you know, we're there and it's just unfortunate about the United Nations and the Red Cross, what is, what is happening. It's really, really, really unfortunate. And that's why I will not stop talking about this. Uh, People might be tired of me every single day posting about it, but I will not stop talking about it until real change is made until all the hostages are home. And I, I, I won't, I won't stop. Good for you. And of course, it's not the first time you've taken your social media audience on an educational journey. You mentioned uh, your series, Holocaust, uh, How to Never Forget. And so what was your vision when you put that series together? Yeah, so growing up, you know, both my grandparents are Holocaust survivors. Anyone that knows me knows I'm extremely close to them. Unfortunately, my Zadie passed away four years ago at the age of 97. And my grandma Lily is still alive at 94, but is suffering Alzheimer's disease of over 14 years. And growing up hearing their stories, I always felt an attachment to, to them, to Holocaust education. But, you know, I, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do with it. And when my Zadie passed away, I rewatched his Shoah Foundation testimonials. And watching it as an adult is way different than when you watch it as a kid. And I was like, I need to do something with it. Um, and... I just decided it was a passion project. I wanted to go and I wanted to go take my followers. I, I partnered um, with Soul Shop and um, BZ Media and actually Rova Media is who took me to Israel and they're just incredible. Um, and we made this series for the younger generation, for social media specifically. You know, there are a lot of conspiracy theories. There are a lot of 
Holocaust denial videos, especially on TikTok, especially in, on Instagram and social media and with the younger generation. And people followed me just for my dance videos and for my singing videos and to see me happy and dance. They weren't following me for Holocaust education or combating anti-Semitism or anything serious of that matter. And so it was a big risk that I took, but I knew I had to do it. There wasn't even a question for me. And I said, you know what, if one person sees this and it changes one person's perspective, that's all we can ask for. And it ended up really taking off in, a, in an incredible and powerful way and really made an impact. And we released that um, leading up to Kristallnacht one year ago. And what has happened this past year and now what is happening now, I would have never thought, that's for sure. I would have never thought one year ago we'd be here today. And it's powerful and it's personal. And I encourage our audience to watch it, how to never forget, uh, have a look at that. And so how's it been to be a prominent and proud Jew on social media recently in 2023? You know, for me, I would say I've always been a proud Jew, um, but definitely not as vocal with it. Just because, again, like I was on social media for dancing and singing. Like that's what I thought I was using my social media for. Um I, but again, I feel like I've always been a proud Jew. And now it's like, everyone's like, well, you, you have so many necklaces on, you have so much, you know, everywhere is you're like, I'm Jewish. Um, people, you know, are like, don't you, aren't you scared, especially being in LA and in Florida and like, shouldn't you hide it? I'm like, no, I want to wear it even more now. And I want to be proud even more now and encourage people to be even more proud. And especially after going to Israel, seeing the flag everywhere, seeing the star everywhere, seeing everyone be so prideful. It's made me want to be like scream it even more that I am Jewish and I am proud. Um, but it's definitely hard on social media. I mean, since October 7th, the first two weeks, I lost 50,000 followers. Um, and that was only the first two weeks. So like, I haven't checked since. Um, the death threats are every single day. Um, and it's crazy that people have so much hate inside of them. You know, I think people have always had this hate. And now that it's like popular, it's it's popular to be anti-Semitic. It's popular to hate Israel, to hate Jews, It's it, which is a crazy thing to say out loud. And so I think people don't even, a lot of people don't even know what they're saying. I think they just see it as this is what's popular. This is what's trending right now. So this must be the right thing. So let's hop on the, the bandwagon. Um, and that's why I keep trying to share as many personal stories as I can to say like, hey, it doesn't matter what side you're on, what the conflict is like this, this happened to real innocent people. And this is happening to real innocent people and change needs to happen. And we also, I, what I keep saying, even before this is I've always done content and videos for people, all races, all ethnicities, all ages, all walks of life. I've always been about uniting people, no matter who you are, where you come from. And I, I wish my, my wish is that people, instead of the, there's so much separation, I wish that we could all unite and the world would be such a better place and more powerful place and more beautiful place if we can put a, set aside our differences and come together for humanity, for just just what's right and what 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 needs to happen. It's not about what religion you are, what race you are, it's about humanity. Um, so that is that is my wish. Well said. And you mentioned the people who've had their eyes open, the people who've approached you positively. So what's your message to influential celebrities like you who may care but have not spoken out yet for one reason or another? I would say if anyone can go to Israel, please go. It's been so incredible to see so many people that I admire and adore go to Israel um, in these past few weeks. If you can go, please go, because I think that anything you're feeling right now, 
when you go to Israel, I'm telling you, all of that will go out, out the window. I mean, it's it's really sad that I've had so many conversations with really prominent people who are like very, very successful and very famous and very big. And they've come up to me and they've said, thank you so much like, for everything you're doing. You know, you're really taking one for the team. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they they are they are not posting because they don't want to lose everything they've built and 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 risk their careers and uh, offend anyone and all these things that they're saying and I'm like do you hear how how crazy that sounds that you don't want to post about what you feel and what you feel is right because or you don't want to talk about it because you're you're nervous you're going to lose your career like that just sounds like stories of of when my my Zadie and when my grandma would they tell me what happened in the Holocaust, you know, like that we can't stay silent. We can't stay silent. That's what that's what we cannot do ever again. Um, so listen, I understand that you know it could be it could be a really, really sensitive topic, but I don't think staying silent is the answer. And I don't think not doing anything is the answer and the right thing to do. So however you guys feel you can do something and do your part in some way, please, and if you have the opportunity to go to Israel, please go. It's just the most incredible place and you will meet the most incredible people and you will hear the stories and you will see it. Like I went to Faraza. I went to, to the Nova Festival uh, exhibit. I met with real people. I went to the hospital to visit people. Like these are real people and this is happening and we can't ignore it. Amazing stuff and an amazing message. Montana, amplifying your voice and encouraging people to fight anti-Semitism and to support Israel is no small thing. Thank you for all that you're doing. We'll all be following right. you online. And I'm confident that your Zadie will be very, very proud of you. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. You. Thank you so much. Goodbye, everyone. And before we go, a new version of the song Am Yisrael Chai has become the unofficial theme of the unity of Israelis and all who stand with them. Well, here's that very special rendition of that tune sung by children, school children in Australia.
Beautiful. And thank you for the support from Australia and all over the world. If you'd like to make sure that our team can keep sharing the truth from Israel to your communities and people around the globe, you can make your year end donation at standwithus.com slash donate. That's standwithus.com slash donate. Keep following Stand With Us social media for updates, including our updates channel on WhatsApp. You can start by sharing this briefing with your networks. We're sending love to the Israeli troops and to our brothers and sisters and allies worldwide and our prayers for every hostage to be back home with their family soon. Thanks for watching. Am Yisrael Chai.